Welcome to an omnibus. Uh, hang on. Can we lose the effects, please? Ah. Honestly, they take you illiterally. Yes, welcome to an omnibus edition of Twistery Tales, featuring some comical takes on history from October and November down to centuries. First, though, a bit of time travel of a different kind, with the recent news that Tom Baker has filmed some brand new scenes for a special Doctor Who release, putting a live-action finishing touch to the new animated version of the legendary story Sharda, an edition of the show that never saw the light of the studio day due to strike action back in 1979. Ah, uh, hello? Anybody there, said the traveller? Oh, there you are, sir. <laughs> welcome, welcome indeed. Uh, it really is a, a privilege to have you back on board, so to speak, for this surprise scene. Uh, I must say, you certainly look the part in that frock coat and scarf, but uh, wasn't that the costume worn by the chap who followed you, Mr Pertwee? It isn't John Pertwee. It's him, Tom Baker. My apologies, Mr Baker, sir. <laughs> My assistant has put me right. Uh, yes. Yes. You must have regenerated, eh? <laughs> well, uh, let's take you uh, onto the set uh, uh, this way. Yeah. I guess it'll be like uh, revisiting the old family pile, eh? Uh, your, your home for seven long years, the uh, plywood, uh, I mean uh, TARDIS set. Well, I'm delighted to have this opportunity. I was thrilled to be asked. When my agent suggested it, it was like manna from heaven. Oh, that's lovely. Just lovely. We, uh, we did ask John Culshaw first, uh, but uh, he was far too expensive. It turns out you're cheaper than your impersonator, and that'll do for us. <laughs> BBC budget and all that. <laughs> yes. Well, there are quite a few impersonators out there. It's so difficult to get a table at the Ivy now. They won't believe I need. Perhaps, uh, perhaps we'll get you all together one day. We could call it the Great British Baker Off. <laughs> yes, very witty. Nice to see the old girl out of mothballs, though. The old set has hardly changed. I must say, the chance to complete the work halted by that strike will be marvellous. The power appears to have dropped. Is this a technical fault, or should I reverse the polarity of the neutron flow? Uh, I'm afraid not. Uh, otherwise, uh, I guess you'd have been handy, what with that uh, Sonic the Hedgehog screwdriver of yours. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm afraid it's the Union. Uh, they've been threatening to disrupt things for days. Something about receiving 1970s pay rates at this job. <laughs> I mean, we're using 1970s equipment, for goodness sake. Well, who is in charge of this Union? Would you like me to have a word? Smooth the choppy waters? That would be me, Doctor. My arch-nemesis, Dave Ross. Still power-mad after all these years? You may mock me, Doctor. But I hold in my hand a document that contains much power. A union agreement that means life or death to any creative project. The tiny pressure of my thumb, enough to move the nip of my pen, 
could end. Everything. But would you do it? You're going off script, Doctor, but yes. 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 I would do it. I use the same pen to write my column for the Daily Mail. And we thought the Daleks were the balmiest thing you'd done. And don't get me started on immigration. Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher comedy podcast. The past rewritten before your very ears. A spot of topical material to open up the 19th edition of Twistery Tales, my comedy podcast reimagining great and not-so-great moments from history. This double bill features stories from October and November down the centuries. Let's commence our trip through the Twistery books with the 3rd of October 1906, when change was very much in the offing for the International Emergency Distress Signal. During a conference in Germany, a new call sign was devised and adopted. Uh, this, Sir James, is the uh, nerve centre of our new facility. Uh, we received the funding shortly after one of our patrons attended the Berlin Radio Telegraphic Conference. Ah, yes, marvellous. Uh, just the sort of thing that would centre on my nerves. A dreaded conference on radio watsonography. <laughs> and in Berlin, too. <laughs> Give me a glass of brandy and a round of toasted muffins over a conference in Berlin any day of the week. <laughs> ah, well... Uh, Anyway, Sir James, uh, this is where we, uh, we test the new radio-telegraphic equipment, and uh, as the world is now adopting the new SOS call uh, as the accepted call sign for uh, distress. It, what was wrong with the old call sign? I, I love the old call sign. CQD, CQD. Used it often. Well, it was felt that SOS was a much easier call sign due to its radiation and its unmistakable character. There's no special significance in the letters themselves. It can be sent together as one string, you see, with no stops, so you can send it out very quickly and with very little power needed to transmit. Pardon me for asking, Sir Jim, but when, when do you say you often used it? Oh, by Jovius. <laughs> Had one of those uh, Morse gadgets made for my personal use. <laughs> it, it had to be portable, mind. <laughs> Took it everywhere with me. I, I wasn't aware that you were a keen sailor, Sir James. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Steer well clear from sailors. <laughs> they get far too close to fish. <laughs> hate fish. <laughs> no, I, I used my telegraph machine in town. Uh, sometimes at home, but mostly on the move in town. But sending out emergency distress calls when you're not in danger, that's incredibly irresponsible, Sir James. No, no, no. I, I only used it in the direst of emergencies. Uh, I'd set out to meet up with old Charlie Pinkerton Brown and his mousy little wife Gwendolyn. Uh, and they'd start jabbering on about all sorts of boring nonsense. Telling me, what's a man to do? Be bored to death by photographic prints of their offspring, uh, uh, tales of taking the waters in Darlington. <laughs> More than I could stand, uh, most distressing. So I, I'd send out the call, CQD, CQD. And within minutes, all my chums from the Savoy Rotters Club would burst into the place and we'd have a wonderful fun fight to boot. <laughs> Marvellous. <laughs> what, Sir James, what exactly did you think CQD stood for? 
<laughs> Anything you like, old boy. <laughs> In this case, it was company quite drab. Uh, but it might easily have been come quick, drink, or, or possibly Chinatown quality dinner. Uh, followed by the initials of the restaurant, of course. <laughs> Do you know some dashed impudent fellow once told me that it was for the sole use of seafaring types? <laughs> Something along the lines of come quick drowning, I'd imagine. <laughs> what a waste. But, but this new SOS call sign, dashed silly idea if you ask me. I mean, what's it meant to be? A silly old sausage? <laughs> Supper out, Sydney? <laughs> Some have suggested save our ship, Sir James. Ha! Soft on sailors would be more like it, ruddy seafarers. It's all those fish out there to blame, you know. <laughs> MMP would be better. More macaroons, pronto. <laughs> now that's a call sign and <laughs> no mistake. <laughs> If you're a regular cinema goer, you might well have caught Sir Kenneth Branagh's all-star version of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. The timing is particularly good for this movie, as October saw the anniversary of the first run of the legendary train service from Paris to Constantinople. It all happened back on the 6th of October, 1883, when the Orient Express covered the journey in less than 78 hours. Obviously, no leaves on the line and no industrial arguments about guards. Frederick? Uh-huh. Frederick, are you awake? Yeah, yes, Clara, I'm awake. How can I be expected to sleep with that racket going on in the cabin next door? It's, it's, it's simply awful. Can't you do something? It's three in the morning. I'm wearing silk pajamas and my overcoat is under the bed being pressed. What do you expect me to do? I'm not spending our first night aboard the Orient Express standing in a cold train corridor banging on a neighboring door. But it's getting worse, Frederick. I call someone, perhaps. There's that um, communication bell, isn't there? Okay, honey, okay, I'll, I'll call the guard or something. I wonder what the hell is going on in there. They must have had at least a dozen people turning up there every half hour. Bonjour, monsieur and madame. How may I help thee? We'd like you to do something about the racket coming from the, the cabin next door. Oh, you speak anglais! Oh, well, that's all right then. I can drop this phony accent. Shuffing nightmare pretending to be French morning, noon and night. I only know how to sing Frere Jacques. Yes, my husband, Frederick Alvar Miller, is American, and, and I'm his wife, Clara. Ah, a lady from the old country. Smashing. So, can you do something? Eh? Uh, about the commotion next door, we, we can't get a wink of sleep. Mr. Ratchet's cabin, isn't it? Well, I'll, I'll do me best, sir. Uh, you, you think you got it bad? I'm at the beck and call of this little French bloke, all spats, brill cream and dash. Monsieur, I'm Belgian. Oh, Chuffy Nora, is he in there as well? All this buzzing for this and that and t'other. Demanding hotty chocky and waffles, trying to deduce things about people all the time. I tell you, he's getting on my t uh, uh, tickets. Yeah. Right, leave, leave it with me. 
you lot. Can you just pack it in with all this arguing and fisticuffs? There's a couple of reeked ups in the next cabin trying to get some gifts. Now come on. Now come on, quieten down. Now, now come on. I won't ask again. Right. Huh? Shouldn't have any more trouble tonight. Sorry about the racket. I I hope we didn't put you to any trouble. Ah, oh, don't be daft. All part of the service on the Orient Express. Hope you uh, hope you get some sleep now. I'm off back to the guards van for a mug of tea. Awful this job, really. Juffin murder. From train lines to telephone lines next, and a twistery tale from the 9th of October in 1876. Inventor Alexander Graham Bell and his assistant Thomas Watson made their longest telephone call to date. They got the biggest bill to date later that month. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Ah, finally, my shots are improving. This could revolutionise the game. Good afternoon, Thomas Watson speaking. Watson, why is the telephone being engaged for the last 20 minutes? Ah. I've just been trying out the apparatus, uh, experimenting with different uses. Step into my office, Watson. I want to see you. Now, what's this new use for my telephone apparatus, Watson? Well, it works a treat as a golf club, Mr. Bell. The cord makes it ultra-flexible and the receiver has the perfect... Never mind that, Watson. Who ever heard of playing games with a telephone? That would never catch up. Very good, sir. Uh, why did you wish to see me, Mr. Bell? Ah, yes. A very exciting development. Look at this, Watson. A book? Surely that's already been invented, sir. Yes, of course. But this, Watson, is a type of directory. Listings for all those purchasing our telephones. See here. Each entry comes with a card with a photographic portrait of the user. I thought we might call it a Facebook... You're listening to Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher comedy podcast from Larynx Productions. In addition to creating this podcast, I also work in a professional capacity as a voice artist. And yes, I am available for hire for your next project. If you happen to chance upon SoundCloud and search for Richard Usher Media Creative, you'll find a selection of showreels, sketches and readings to enjoy. Here's a taster from a little piece written back in the 1950s. I, I want a brace of partridges, said the sporty-looking man, and let me have the finest pair that you absolutely can. The shopman, all apologies, regretted he had none. He'd just this minute sold the last. He hadn't even won. The sporty chap glanced round a bit. Have you, said he, a hair? I'd like one really champion. It's cost, I do not care. Again, the shopman had to say he hadn't hairs to sell. Uh, perhaps, he added, something else would do equally as well. Now, what about a nice pork pie, the shopman suavely said. 
We have some very tasty ones. The sportsman shook his head. You're daft, the latter said in pique. We all can tell a lie. But how could I go home and say I'd shot a nice pork pie? The sportsman there. And back to the twistery in a second. But don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast and leave us your comments via iTunes and the website richardusher.co.uk. Now, football is a big part of the autumn months, and it was on the 24th of October in 1857 that the very first football club was formed by a group of Cambridge University old boys, and it all kicked off during their meeting in Sheffield. I say, Miss Daniel, old chap. <laughs> yes, William? You recall that informal kickabout we had at the cricket club a couple of years ago? Oh, yes, that was a day. <laughs> Five broken legs, a fractured jaw, and several lacerations. <laughs> and that was just the after-game drinks in the club bar. Oh, yeah, yes, but the game was simply awful. No place kick. Chaps walloping the ball to around 40 or 50 yards from the goal. Other fellows pushing, hacking, and tripping all over the place. <laughs> no decorum. What football needs are some official rules. It needs guidelines on how to play the game. We should form a club, a club with proper rules. Oh, my word, yes. Splendid notion. (laughs) And think of the prestige. Another first for Britain, what? (laughs) We could have uh, sensible rules, uh, practical rules, and and some rules that'll just baffle spectators. An offside rule. What's that? Haven't a clue. Brilliant. We'll put it in. And, of course, we'll have to introduce some sort of a league system to accommodate all the the teams once it becomes popular. Which it will. You mark my pitch. Ah, but what if a player decides to switch allegiances? Hmm? Play for a different team. What? Move from a Yorkshire team to a Lancashire team? Something like that? Ooh, best we put in some sort of financial clause, then. <laughs> a sort of transfer fee, you mean? Aye, a couple of quid if they switch teams. That'll make them ponder, have a word with themselves. Oh, a few, a few shillings, surely. Two pounds is a little overpricing thing, don't you think? <laughs> It'll never get that out of hand. Of course, football tickets are daylight robbery these days. Speaking of robberies, here's a tale from the 27th of October, 1901 when we saw the first use of what became known as a getaway car, when thieves robbed a shop in Paris and sped away. Uh, bonjour, madame. Bonjour, monsieur. Paul Avu Anglais. Uh, non, monsieur. Oh, blimey. I knew I should have stayed on at night school like my old man wanted me to. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Ceci est un bâton. Oui, monsieur, un bâton. No, no, you're not quite getting this, are you, love? No, no. Stick up. Oh, no. Uh, Non, monsieur. Bâton on O. Whose idea was it to go continental with this next heist? Go abroad, says Clubber Brownlow. Change your scenery. Foreign rosses won't know us abroad. Didn't consider the language barrier, did he? Right, hope he's got the car ready. Stand over all the cash. Feet, feet. Come on, clubber. What the heck are you doing? 
Why isn't the car running? This is our big getaway. It's not my fault. I'm cranking it like crazy. Those French coppers will be on us soon. Quick, flag down that next car. <gasps> Papa? Nico, what the heck are you doing in Paris? The new Renault Clio getaway. The most reliable automobile in France. Available from all continental dealerships at favourable terms. Only a two shilling down payment. Terms and conditions apply. Full credit available. APR 67% non-variable. Thank you, Brexit. We'll make our own getaway now from October into November and visit the 19th century for another innovation. Back on the 2nd of November in 1871, what became known as the Rogues Gallery was introduced in British prisons. This sort of Victorian-era Instagram was introduced when photographs were taken of all the inmates across the country. Uh, here we are, Mr Sandwich. Uh, the inmates are assembled in the main exercise hall, ready for your photographic session. Uh, splendid. And uh, my camera equipment? Rest easy, old chap. I've had my best warders on the case. They were very careful with all your equipment, and uh, it is ready for use as per your instructions. Uh, our Mr. Barraclough was extremely delighted. He's a bit of an amateur photography nut, so he enjoyed a bit of tinkering. <laughs> oh, oh, that's excellent news. I, I, I'm always a little concerned because some of the equipment is quite fragile, uh, somewhat expensive, and the magnesium we use in the flash apparatus uh, needs careful handling. Ah, rest assured, my men know what they're doing. All right, you lot, settle down. Now, this gentleman is Mr Sandwich, and he is here to take some photographic portraits of you all for our records. Braithwaite. Do you not have any clean clothes? You were told to dress smartly today. Look at you. Mud all over your trousers. You as well, Hopkins. You're a disgrace, the lot of you. At least you've moved those pommel horses out of the way. And what have I told you about hanging on to the gardening equipment, fair brother? Sorry, Warden. Well, once Mr Sandwich has captured your image, you can just take all that stuff back out there. Okay, Mr. Sandwich, if you're ready, we may as well start with this oath. Come along, fair brother. Come along, step lively, uh, man. Thank you. Uh, just, just stand on that uh, white mark over there. Uh, that's right. And uh, just to warn you, this uh, piece of equipment here is uh, a photography lamp. Uh, it, it uses quite a lot of magnesium and other chemicals, uh, and it will give off a very large flash. I, I assure you, it won't hurt your eyes. Uh, but do be prepared, as it may dazzle you momentarily. Uh, re ready? Now, now, remain perfectly still. <coughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry about that. Oh, that never usually happens. What have you done? Where are the inmates? Um, I, I guess they became the first flash mob. You're listening to a double-month edition of Twistery Tales, as we kind of missed October's edition. Now, as we're in November, we must, of course, make reference to probably the most famous date on the calendar for that month. But it was, of course, upon the 4th of November 
that York-born gunpowder plotter Guy Fawkes was discovered lurking in the cellars below Parliament. Guard Captain, commence the search of the cellars. My intelligence suggests there are fiendish and treacherous villains to be apprehended. Oh, very well, Sir Thomas. Uh... Right, you heard him, men. Scour the area. I'll leave that with you. Sir, I, I found something. A bloke with a match in a watch. Oh, Mr. Guido Fawkes. We have you at last. Damn you, man. A guard. Go and fetch Sir Thomas Nevitt back in. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be, uh, he'll be wanting to witness the apprehension of this villain. You may think of me a villain, sir, but I am acting for the interests of England. What? Are plotting to murder King James and his government? How are you going to do it anyway? I have all the equipment I require. What? A match and a tatty old watch? Now, come away from behind those barrels. The watch was given me by my friend Thomas Percy, so I should know how the time went away. Well, you won't have much time left once you've been tried in a court of law. Traitors tend to meet their ends pretty swiftly, I can tell you. Now, come along. Don't mess around. No, no, no. Give me no, that match. No. You burn your fingers if you're not careful. No, stop. Come on. Just, just chug it on the floor. Yes, I know it doesn't have quite the same level of gore as you'd find in the BBC's Gunpowder series, but it does the job. Now, from plots to printers, and the 18th of November 1477, this was when the famed merchant, diplomat, writer and printer William Caxton published the very first book. morning. Uh, I wonder if you might help me. I, I'm looking for a book. A what? A, a book. The dictates or, or sayings of the philosophers by William Caxton. Sorry, pal. This is an apocryphy. We don't have any books. Mind how you go, dear. Yes, lovely. What can I get you? It's a nice liver tart, a pigeon roll. Uh, the sayings of the philosophers, eh, by, by William Caxton. Sorry, dear, nothing like that. Got some bread, dear? The sayings of the philosophers, eh, by William Caxton. Get out of it! Horseshoes, mate. No books. No luck, Dad. <laughs> I'm afraid not. Never mind, Dad. Try this animal horn on a string. There might be someone who can help. H Hello? Who you are? Yes, I I'm looking for a copy of Sayings of the Philosophers by William Caxton. Oh, oh, oh you do? Oh, you don't? What's that? Fly fishing. J.R. Hartley. <laughs> Never heard of him. Ah, the price of fame. 
and we take our bow for the close of proceedings here on Twistry Tales, and until our December edition, it's farewell with this story from the 20th of November, 1944. Cheerio! 20th of November, 1944, and here in London, Great crowds of war-weary citizens are gathering in the streets as the lights of Piccadilly, the Strand and Fleet Street are about to be switched back on after five years of blackout. There is great ceremony as the Lord Mayor of London, Sir Frank Alexander, sends the beautifully crafted Prince to throw the golden power switch. And the assembled crowd are ecstatic as the beautiful lights of London, darkened for so long by the ominous clouds of war, are restored to their illuminating glory. And as the Lord Mayor takes a bow, a representative from the Electricity Generating Board steps forward to hand over the reconnection bill. You have been enduring another edition of Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher one-man comedy podcast. Music courtesy of bensound.com. Twistery Tales is a larynx production. Hey, hey.